at that time, we changed our name to Infinite later, and that's another story. But at that time, we were called CNB Olympic. Mm. And so CNB was for Cook and Blazer, our last names. <laughs> um, and uh, But I remember in the industry, in the first six, ten months, it's like, you got to get people to believe that you can do things, right? But they were calling us Crash and Burn. Hello and welcome. You are listening to The Art of Biz, a show where we share the stories of distinct entrepreneurs, their successes, failures, and the lessons they've learned along their journeys. Today, we're lucky enough to be here at the Infinite Energy headquarters with Darren Cook, the founder and CEO. Uh, Darren founded Infinite Energy in 1994, and it has gone on to become a big company here in Gainesville. Now employs over 300 people in the community and pays out more than $20 million in salaries to residents here in Gainesville. Thank you. I, I will correct one thing in your intro. It wasn't just me that founded it, but I've got to give props to my business partner, uh, Richard Blazer, who is a co-founder with me. We're equal partners. Right. Okay. Um, so, so you founded Infinite Energy in May of 1994. and. Um, can you walk us through this? What was going through your head? I know you had the idea in 1992. It took you guys two years. You guys wrote a business plan and raised capital. So what was going through your head? You were in your late 20s? Yes. Uh, when we actually founded it, it was 1994. But as you said, the journey started two years earlier, uh, which as I think is uh, the conception of the thought. But we had to, as you said, write a business plan, go out and pitch the idea like any other startup. And uh, we finally found a backer um, and uh, they backed our credit. Um, we ended up forming a company called CMB Gas Acquisition Services. And then uh, we own 25% of CNB Olympic. Olympic was our partner and they own 75%. Uh, so what was going through our thoughts was is we basically felt that we could uh, do this because we were doing it at GRU. We were saving them millions of dollars a year but I got a 3% raise um, the next year. So uh, we felt that we could, you know, um, take advantage of the massive opportunities of a deregulated natural gas market that was just happening then. So there was great change. Uh, we thought we were in the right place at the right time and then we could make a go of it. Wow. So um, one of the things that I read when I was researching Infinite Energy was that you founded it in May 1994, and by October of that year, you guys were already profitable. That's correct. Um, to me, the two years that it took for us to find backing um, helped us, I, I call it coiling the spring. We put a lot of potential energy in that spring during that two years. If we had started two years earlier, in other words, from conception, maybe just after the business plan, I don't think we would have done nearly as well. But the two years, uh, by the time we were ready to go, we were ready to go. Uh, and um, and take advantage of the opportunity. We had basically put meat on the bones of all of our ideas so that we could immediately start selling natural gas and arbitrage, uh, taking advantage of the arbitrage opportunities that were available. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like, I mean, you guys already had these, these connections in place. You guys already had the natural gas suppliers, I'm assuming. Uh, well, that was what the credit backer was for. Um, oh. They backed our credit so we could buy natural gas. We had relationships with a lot of suppliers, but we did not have the money um, to buy the natural gas and pay for it, uh, uh, you know, prepay for it. So we needed a credit backer that could let, uh, help us pay for it on normal credit terms. 
And that's why that was so important. That was the key to making our business happen. What kind of loan did you guys start with? Or what kind of- well, It wasn't so much a loan. It was like, um, uh, in the natural gas industry, if I buy gas in January, I gotta pay for it in February by February 25th. Mm. If I don't have credit though, I gotta pay for it by December 31st. Mm. Okay, so I needed somebody that was gonna give me normal payment terms because my customers were gonna pay me by February 25th. So it's like an equal exchange plus, and then we get to keep the profit. Right. Uh, so I really did, we didn't read a lot of loans, uh, only a small loan. I think what we did is um, we set up with the, with the backer that uh, they would support us for up to $200,000 over the first two years. Uh, but, uh, because we owe 25% of it, that uh, uh, 25%, $50,000, we had to come up with. But they were willing to loan us that $50,000 um, mm. if they used it. But the cool thing was by October, not only were we profitable, but we didn't need any more additional money. So, so we didn't, um, we only used the money as we needed it for our monthly burn rate. Um, so we didn't even, I think we used $30,000 and paid all that back in October. Wow, um, and then have profit after that. So, so we only ended up using thirty thousand dollars of that two hundred thousand. Right. Anyway, so who were your first customers? Oddly enough, uh, Florida Power and Light was one of our first customers. Florida Gas Utility was one of our first customers. It's a local uh, utility that handles like eight or nine. That's who I actually technically worked for when I was at GRU. I was buying gas for seven or eight different utilities. Um, Jacksonville Electric Authority was one of our first customers. Tampa Electric Company was one of our first customers. So all the utilities in Florida, um, because we had relationships with them, because I was part of that buying group, they were our customers. So we were a wholesaler. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> when did you get to a point where you needed to hire people? And what was that process like? Well, almost immediately we had, <laughs> this is a funny story, we had a, uh, uh, we, I hired a temp help through a temp help agency, um, and then in, in our first week uh, in business, uh, towards the end of the week, we had to um, uh, actually for the week, for the week we had to go out to Houston where a lot of the suppliers are to make sure we got more contracts, etc. for supply, and uh, so we left the temp help there to take calls, and we at that time we had uh, beepers instead of phones, <laughs> um, so she was, and then the beeper. Beeper stopped going after about Thursday, I think, because um, we were getting, you know, she was supposed to text us who called us and whatnot. And um, so we came back, and on Friday we found a note that she had left. <laughs> but fortunately, she locked our door. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why. So she had left on Thursday. She just didn't want to do that particular job anymore. So. <laughs> so, but no, I mean, we needed help. We needed somebody cause, uh, to take phone calls immediately. Yeah. Um, but we didn't have more than 11 people through the first three years of our business. Now, as, a, as I understand that you and Rich Blazer were co-CEOs, you're both CEOs? That's correct. Yeah. So what was, what were your, both your roles like? Well, when, um, we worked at GRU, uh, uh, I was a natural gas buyer and Rich was a financial accountant, um, that handled a lot of the stuff that was brand new in our industry from an accounting standpoint. Um, so uh we took on those roles although he did he, he also helped buy and sell natural gas um, so it was pretty funny I, I recommend to those that are in two or three person firms to have several cards business cards for all the roles that you're taking because you know you don't want to put CEO down when you're talking to a gas trader 
right? So we, you know, like I was a natural gas uh, a, a trading manager was one of my things. And Rich has had a card said accounting manager. And I remember, you know, Rich answering the phone occasionally and they'd say, uh, can you, can you uh, send me someone to your accounting department? And Rich would say, uh, hold on a second. And wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> and then say, uh, accounting department, Rich Blazer, how can I help you? <laughs> so, so, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's all about um, sometimes appearances. And, uh, you know, we were at, even in our first year, we were doing over a million dollars in natural gas sales a month. Wow. So, uh, on average. So it's like, um, so we had to appear uh, bigger than what we were, I guess. And, uh, and it's also, those were the roles we were filling. So, you know, to say you had, we had a, a set of cards for each job title that we were filling at that time, because we only had two in a temp help at that time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and whoever we met was who we handled the particular card out to. So we, we didn't have the ego of saying we're CEO. Um, and now if we were meeting some higher level person, we could pull out that card too. Yeah. But when you're doing the regular stuff, you, you don't need to have that title. In fact, it makes you look small. Very interesting. So can you recall one of your first obstacles or challenges that you faced when you were starting Infinite Energy? Um, when we were first starting, well, I, I gave you the story on the temp help person, yeah. of course. Mm -hmm. um, it was mainly, uh, I do remember we were getting calls because we just started and we had, you know, uh, we knew a lot of people because I, been buying gas for the last three years and rich knew a lot of people on the pipeline side from the accounting standpoint so we were getting a lot of calls saying hey we've got uh you guys buying gas in tennessee or you guys buying uh gas and uh are uh, selling gas in new york or or those places and um and it was sort of exciting to think that we could do that but then we realized look we know florida gas transmission each pipeline has, and that's the, the pipeline that goes from South Texas all the way to Miami, or actually it's Homestead. Um, and we, we know that pipe really well. Each pipeline has a tariff, and that's basically the rules of the pipe. If you're going on other pipes, you got to know those rules inside and out. So um, when I was a kid, I loved playing strategic board games. Uh, and so the tariff is like a game, was like a game. It's like, these are the rules. This is the set of rules. And uh, how do we uh, use those rules to our advantage? Um, and uh, so uh, if I'm trying to, if I don't know the rules of the game to get gas to Tennessee, it's just gonna distract me. I've gotta take all this time to learn that. Whereas I know the rules here and I know how to arbitrage these, uh, this particular pipeline. So let's focus only on Florida. So that was distraction, I think, is the biggest thing because people were coming at you with all sorts of other possibilities. Um, the other hardship was getting, getting over was reputation because like when um, I do remember when I left GRU, one of the guys uh, said to me, uh, he's my boss, he said, hey, don't worry if it doesn't work out. I've got a job for you. And we were called, at that time, we changed our name to Infinite later, and that's another story. But at that time, we were called CNB Olympic. Mm -hmm. And so CNB was for Cook and Blazer, our last names. <laughs> um, and uh, But I remember in the industry, in the first six, 10 months, it's like, you gotta get people to believe that you can do things, right? But they were calling us crash and burn. 
Right. Right. And so you have to build that reputation up. And uh, eventually we did. They didn't call us that after a while. But for the first year, that was the nickname in the uh, crash and burn. Crash and burn. (laughs) (laughs) For people, especially that didn't like us. (laughs) (laughs) And you get a lot of people that think you're going to fail. That's like, it's just like the guy was actually being kind to me at DRU, but it's still a sense that we're going to fail, mm-hmm. right? So you, you've got a lot of negativity about what you're doing, even when uh, you know that you have the capability. In every entrepreneurial endeavor, there's a piece of the market that wants you to succeed yep. and a piece of the market that wants you to fail. Who, who are in each camp? <laughs> well, um, I've got to be kind, I think. Uh, obviously, uh, those that want you to succeed are business partners, the people we, we did business with that believed in us. Um, you know, it's like, uh, uh, I think, it's odd because at first I don't know if uh, I, the people think you don't want, uh, it's not that they want you to fail, it's just they don't think you're going to succeed. Uh, we did have this one group that did not like us too much that wanted us to fail. Um, uh, yeah, they're the ones that nicknamed us Crash and Burn and it sort of stuck. Um, <laughs> so, um, and there wasn't even a direct competitor. Uh, I don't want to, you know, because people are still around in this area, so I don't really want to talk about that as far as uh, names or or who they were um, I just don't think that's, yeah, that's uh, right. a good thing to do but did they, did they succeed they're still around okay. yes uh, so um, uh, like I said they weren't a, uh, a direct competitor um, in the sense in fact they could be uh, uh, occasionally we'd sell gas to them so but they still didn't want us to succeed um, so but a lot of people it's like I think that they just thought we weren't going to succeed and that can you know, if you don't have a thick skin, that can really, you know, you know that that sense of failure uh, can seep in, so to speak. So, was there ever a time that you questioned whether you'd be able to succeed? <sighs> there were circumstances um, uh, beyond my control, and ask me that question later, and I'll, I'll talk about mm-hmm. that. Uh, that could have possibly uh, caused us to fail, but I. I don't know. There's a, you know, people say that entrepreneurs are optimists. Um, And I would say generally that's true, but I'm not a blind optimist. Okay. So, and neither is my business partner, Rich. So we want to know all the information to overcome obstacles. Okay. But if, so where I'm an optimist is, if I see an obstacle, I think I can overcome it. Okay. Uh, blind optimism, the obstacles just sort of hit you upside the face and knock you down. And um, in the end, yeah, I think you become, um, uh, you know, depressed in that sense um, or bitter. Uh, so it's your optimism because you don't have any foundation for it. But we had foundation, we felt at that time. Um, we had a crazy confidence. That's what I call it. Uh, but in the end... There are so much, so many things to learn along the way that perhaps that was a, a little naive even then. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, it was what it was. I always thought we would succeed, and I think that blind, uh, oh, that naivete, in a sense, because there's a lot of things you don't think about when you start a business. 
um, is actually helpful because you may not even start the business if you go in with all of these uh, things that you feel are these fears. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Okay, so why don't you go ahead and tell us? I know you said that. So the name changed from CNB Olympic to Infinite Energy, and I think I read a little bit about it that something happened in the late '90s, and you guys bought out your partner. Yep. Uh, so what happened was, uh, this is a really interesting uh, thing that occurred, um, and in a way they did us a favor even though at the time it didn't seem. This is one of those times where we could have gone out of business. Um, our business partner, Olympic, uh, who were great partners, um, sold their business um, to another company in 1996, February of 1996, called Pinnacle, and this particular company um, was completely uh, unethical. Um, in fact, on our first meeting there, uh, they, uh, the Olympic was located on 23rd floor of the Texaco building, and um, we saw we saw them uh, the day before the sale and the day after the sale. So we saw our folks the day before. And the day after we walked in and um, we smelled a bunch of smoke. So people were smoking and they had these smoking machines whirring. But point is, is that the day before they weren't there, the day of they were there. So that was sort of a huge priority. And the second thing that was a priority is we went in and their refrigerator. And at that time they had, uh, you know, traders were, they want them up. So you have like uh, lots of caffeine, caffeinated drinks, Cokes, coffees, candy, um, you know, all the trade houses had those. And so we went to get a Coke or something, and I opened up the refrigerator, and it was full of beer. I couldn't find a Coke, hardly. It was all the way in the back. Now, beer, during workday, yeah, number one, it's not wise, but number two, it's a downer. You don't want... Uh, you don't want that in your system while you're trying to trade, <laughs> so, <laughs> right? So, uh, uh, you know, and then um, just the group that we met with, they were uh, rare. I mean, one guy, one of the traders had like a statue on his desk that, you know, it was basically a hand giving the finger. Um, so, and I mean, this is from one day to the next. So these were our new partners. <laughs> um, so eventually, uh, we found out some of the things they were borrowing money from our lockbox account without our knowledge, um, which is uh, is wire fraud actually. Um, and uh, they were putting it back by the end of the month, so we couldn't see it on the. Well, they weren't they weren't doing the um, accounting correctly. But once we found that out, I'm, I'm cutting down a huge story, very very uh, very small. We exercised a. Uh, uh, part of our contract uh, called a uh, put call provision where we can make an offer for the for the business for the half that we didn't own. We owned half by that time, 49%. Yeah. And uh, they had to accept it or they had to buy out the other half. Oh wow. So we made a low ball offer. Um, they bought up they bought us uh, they bought our half out and we were just on our own again. Basically, almost start. We had our our, our, our company CNB Gas Acquisition Services, so we changed the name of that to Infinite Energy and started afresh. Basically, uh, but the point is, we already had all the relationships. We knew we could do it. And in, in 1997, and we took uh, like several of the employees came with us. Um, no provisions for 
uh, non-compete or higher? No, we made sure there were not any. And that was, you know, it's like in the beginning. I mean, because we were partners. There is, why would you have, why would you compete against your partner unless you get out of the partnership? So this was a way to get out of the partnership and um, continue to do business. So we took, we also had a way, another way to get out, which was it said um, in the contract that if, uh, if they um, <laughs> couldn't handle their credit, if they weren't credit worthy, by the, and by the way, they, uh, uh, the main company um, declared bankruptcy like three or four months later after we did this. Uh, they ended up, they bought the, they bought Olympic for $5 million and ended up losing $25 million in a year. Um, there's all sorts of stories as to why they got rich off of it, but there's, you know, uh, the, the people that they got rich on, uh, they owed a lot of money to, uh, personally rich, personally rich. And we'll get into all that. But, um, uh, so they did, uh, they ended up, did end up going bankrupt three or four months later, but we gave them as um, uh, there's a there's a quote in Sun Tzu is never surround your enemy, and the reason why you don't surround your enemy is they fight to the death. So we gave them. Uh, it's easier to pick them off as they're running if you leave them way out. Um, so we left them way out to jump to this new we call it a ship um, or, or maybe a uh, lifeboat would be a better term, which they did by buying that. So they even though the other company went bankrupt, they still had C and D. Mm-hmm. Olympic, <laughs> and um, we had our own company, which we changed to Infinite Energy because we had wanted no association with that. That company didn't last but six months mm-hmm. later um, because uh, because we didn't have non compete and we didn't have where we had to we couldn't say bad things about. I mean, we basically published that they weren't us. The natural gas uh, uh, they have something called Gas Daily. That's the natural gas rag that comes out every day um, and they published a lot of stories on this particular thing so you know reputation is everything and these you know especially if you want to be in the long term so we escaped mm-hmm. now the one of the lessons I teach is that the first day that we came into them we should have offered that put call provision and found because we didn't have to you know it makes us look like a genius but actually it shows our inexperience because we should have gotten out immediately as opposed to almost coming to a point where we might not have escaped them dragging us. How long was that? It was like six months? One year. Mm -hmm. So, yep. (laughs) Did you guys have a hard time getting back started up? Nope. Uh, We had to find another backer. That took us six months. We had a good enough reputation that a couple of the suppliers gave us credit to standard payment terms. One of them was Shell, who as our current credit backer. Um, they gave us some credit. And uh, another one was a company you wouldn't, uh, uh, you, don't, you don't know, but um, we were able to live off of those two survivor, I mean, uh, two credit backer, well, two people that would sell us gas under normal credit terms for six months before we got a deal with uh, Aquila, which actually was the second biggest um, wholesaler of natural gas in the nation at that time. And we were able to get a new credit backer. And then it was, you know, once again, we almost had unlimited credit to buy and sell natural gas. And we were able to really start taking off at that point. So was that your first big, uh, big win or big customer you guys had? Who? Aquila? Aquila? They weren't our customer. They were a credit backer. Oh, oh, you're a credit credit backer. Yes. uh, But they were much bigger than Olympic by a scale of, uh, you know, 100 to 1. Right. So Olympic was... 
was enough where we could we could um, get to a certain point, but we couldn't really grow after that. With Aquila backing us, it just allowed us to continue to take off. You make it sound as if this was all smooth sailing. I feel like you know, <laughs> it wasn't most... smooth sailing during that time with Olympic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we thought we might be. Able, we we gave our odds at fifty fifty. We'd be out of business. Right. <laughs> so. You know, I think most most entrepreneurs have stories where like they didn't know how they were going to make payroll or. They thought, you know, in a week they would be out of business. You know, it sounds like you never came close to that. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things I, I tell entrepreneur, I tell people, is the reason why we may be different than some of the others is we, number one, we had an industry in great change, which was the natural gas industry. But secondly, um, we had three, three years of learning the cracks in the industry, so to speak, of having successes with GRU and, and some of the other utilities in the state, making them a lot of money. So we already went in knowing we could arbitrage and knowing how to do that. We already went in with a skill set that was sort of proven through our training, so to speak, um, uh, with the utility. So. One of the reasons why we thought we could be successful was because we were doing it already just for somebody else. Um, and, you know, like I said, not really getting the reward from that somebody else that, you know, commiserate with what was going, uh, what we were doing. So I think that's the difference where you see a lot of startups as they come up with this great idea. And ideas, my dad used to say in a true, ideas are a dime a dozen is what you do with it that counts. But if you don't have any foundation in that idea, meaning experience or ability, it's very hot, very hard to make that thing happen because you're starting from uh, almost negative space, almost 10 feet underground. We started out, we were already out of the hole when we started in that two years, by the way, of being able to even find a backer um, helped us too because they, we every time we got rejected, we got rejected over and over again, don't we? You know, get me wrong for but, but we didn't start the business till we got a yes. Okay, mm -hmm. so we knew we had security for at least a year and a half or two years with that two hundred thousand dollars. We felt that that gave us enough runway to actually do things right and get it going. Um, where we weren't scared about succeeding in our first month or two months and then having to ask for more money. No, we we had we didn't. It only took us three months to get to where we didn't need the money anymore. But it could have taken us longer. Right. Right. So, so I, I don't know. Maybe we did things we did we did things unconventionally, perhaps. But um, but I think that's why you see people that have been in an industry for a while that have then start their business. Most of them, a lot of those will succeed. But if you're just in college and you're thinking up an idea, most of those fail. And the reason why is you don't have foundation. Mm. We had a lot of foundation. Right. So I think that's the difference. It wasn't smooth sailing, believe me. I mean, look at this thing that almost gobbled us up. Um, uh, uh, we, I, I counted five different times we could have gone out of business. Right. Just the other day. You know, that was one of them. That was the first one. So. This episode is brought to you by the 161 Group Founders Program, a 10-week virtual accelerator connecting you with other early-stage founders and industry-specific mentors. Throughout the 10 weeks, there are weekly speaker sessions covering topics such as building product, acquiring users, and raising capital. The program runs three times a year, spring, summer, and fall. You can learn more and or apply 
at 161group.com.